have your Bibles, I'd like to look at a couple of verses in the first chapter of Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. In this book, we see a beautiful picture of a king who's also a husband, who is also a shepherd. And we see a woman who is his bride. If you look down, or let's just begin in verse 1 just to get a little bit of a context. The song of songs, which is Solomon's. This begins by saying of all the songs that Solomon wrote, which were over a thousand. So this is the song of the songs. This is about really the greatest love story that's ever been told. And it's the love of the Lord Jesus for his bride. The love of the Lord Jesus for his church. We look on down, we'll see in verse 8, or excuse me, verse 7, we see the bride talking to her husband, the groom, the king, the shepherd. She says, tell me, O thou whom my soul Love. This was a love that was far more than some fleeting love that we may see in the world today that's here today and gone tomorrow. But this is a love, she said, whom my soul loveth. At the very deepest part of her, in the deepest part of her heart, she said, I love thee. I hope and trust we as the little sheep of God have come here this morning with hearts of deep emotion and deep affection for our shepherd, our Lord, our Savior, our King, that we have come together to worship this morning. She said, tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where? Thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. She wanted to be close to the shepherd. And she wanted to know where thou feedest thy flock at noon. She said, I don't want to be in any other field, but I want to be in the field with thee. I want to spend time with thee. I want to fellowship with thee. And we've come together this morning to fellowship with the great king of all the earth, with the one who created the very world upon which we stand, and the one that loved us so much that he shed his precious blood that we might live with him one sweet day in heaven and a more of glory. 
She said, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. We've had some very, very hot days recently. Uh, I was in North Carolina this week from work where it was running in the 70s and 80s and the uh, humidity was a good bit less and I get off the airplane in Jackson, it's almost seven o'clock and the heat index is still over 107. It's high. And it's at the noon time when it seems to be the very hottest and most difficult time of the day. He said, I wanna know this bride, this woman, she said, I want to know where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. In the hottest part of the day, in the most difficult time of the day, there is still a rest for this flock. No matter what we may be going through in our life, no matter how difficult the, the pathway we may be on is, there's still a rest for the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, I want to be there. I want to be where you are, where you feed us thy flock at noon in the, in the hottest part of the day, the most difficult time of the day. That's where I want to be. For why should I be as one that turneth the sides of the flocks of thy companions? This woman, this bride realized, I will not find what I need anywhere else but in thy field, with thy flock, with thee. So it is today. Where is he whom our soul loved? He's with his flock at noon. What a blessing when the Lord chooses by his grace and by his mercy and by his love to be with us and to give us of his food, the food of the shepherd. He answers her. She's asked a question. Where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. That's where I want to be. Where is it? He said, if thou know not who thou bearest among women. The Lord took us who was anything but lovely, who was black and dark and putrid with sin, But he's elevated us from that state. And he's given us of his holiness and of his righteousness and of his love. He's put upon us the garments of salvation and the, the robe of righteousness. And we who were altogether unlovely, he's made us altogether lovely. When we, I try to perform a wedding ceremony 
we go through the relationship that the Lord has for his people, for his bride. Ephesians 5, and say, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. As he begins to speak to his bride who had been altogether unlovely, altogether black, altogether putrid in sin, dead in trespasses and sins, he says, O thou fairest among women. How'd she get to be that way? Because the Lord made her that way. He has washed her. He had made her whiter than snow so that she no longer has any spot or any wrinkle or any such thing, but she's holy. He said, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. He said, you want to know where I feed my flock at noon? You want to know where you can go and find rest for your souls? He said, you look at the footsteps of the flock. You know, we came here this morning really looking for the one whom our soul loved. Looking for our Lord, our Savior, our husband, our king, and our friend. But you know, as we came to the meeting house this morning, I saw a lot of footsteps of the flock coming in. I said, I'm in the right place. He said, if you want to know where I feed my flock at noon, if you want to know where the food is for your soul, we sing a song so many times. It's such a wonderful song. Hungry and faint and poor. Behold us, Lord, again. Assembled at thy mercy's door, thy bounty to obtain. One of the last verses of that song says, Thy food our spirits want. Thy hand alone can give. Oh, hear the prayer of faith and grant that we may eat and live. We come hungry and faint and poor, wondering, Lord, where does thou feedest thy flock at noon? And he says, O oh, thou fairest among women, go thy way by the footsteps of the flock. And feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tent. You know what's good for the older of the flock? It's good for the young in the flock. A kid is a baby. A kid is a young one of the flock. You know what our children need? The little sheep. is the same thing the big sheep need. I was at a 
conference several years ago. It was a conference about substance abuse. And there was a large denominational church in the greater Jackson area that had provided their building for this conference that was really a conference for law enforcement officers. It was a conference for the medical profession and, and for various mental health providers. We had a speaker that got up and here we are in the building of this large denominational church and he began to speak and he said, you know, uh, I'm sure that this building we're in, this church has, has a vibrant youth ministry and youth minister. He said, that's really what we want in our churches, isn't it? A, a vibrant youth ministry and a vibrant uh, youth minister. He said, but do you know what statistics say? He said, statistics tells us that those young people that come out of a church with, with, a, with a vibrant youth ministry and, and youth minister and that are separated from the older folks and the middle-aged folks in the congregation, they're always separated. He said, you know what statistics tells us? He says that the vast majority of those young people will later go on to deny their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he said, but you know the churches that can't afford a youth ministry or to have a youth, vibrant youth ministry, and I didn't say anything, I wanted to say, or primitive Baptists that don't want it, <laughs> even if we had the money, <laughs> we still don't want it. He said, but those that can't afford a youth minister or to have a vibrant youth minister, the vast majority of those young people who worship the same way that the oldest sheep of the flock have worshipped, they go on to never, ever deny their faith in their Lord, their Savior, their Master, and their Redeemer. Where was this woman to go? The same place her children were to go and to worship in the same way in the Lord's field by the footsteps of the flock. The Lord's way is always the best way. And what the older sheep need and the middle sheep, middle-aged sheep need are the same thing that the youngest sheep need. I love it when ministers have said... I like to set the trough low enough when I preach that the little lambs can feed. They feed on the same thing. We may be different maturity levels in the faith. We may be, have different knowledge in the faith. But I'll tell you, our souls and spirits that the Lord changed when we were born again, what that soul needs is the same because my new heart that the Lord has given me is the same as your new heart. And it's the same as the youngest person's here's new heart that's been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. What a blessing. Well, the Lord blesses us to walk by the footsteps of the flock. We're able to find the food that our souls need in His field. And I pray I never look for another field. But I always find what I need his field. May God bless you is my prayer. Please pray for Brother John Moore. Turn with me if you will to Isaiah 
chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52. The problem with having a burden to speak in front of the Lord's people and having a subject on your mind um, is not the Lord that gave you the subject. It's not the congregation that you're speaking before. The problem is you. And getting yourself out of the way and letting the Lord's message shine through and it not being something that you have conjured up or you have prepared in advance or that's flesh-led and not spirit-led. But the Lord is no stranger to having, having men preach His wondrous gospel. I've often thought in my mind how much simpler would it be in my own eyes and fleshly eyes if the Lord would just to infuse all of His holy written Word into our thoughts and our minds to where we could just quote the Bible give a perfect explanation of it and then just go on with our lives and happiness and joy. But the Lord didn't do that. I've often thought how simple it would be in my own fleshly eyes, not through um, biblical wisdom, you understand, how simple it would be to have angels preach the gospel. They are, in a sense, perfect beings that would come down from God, not misphrase anything, not stutter at all, not um, lose lose the congregation's attention, as it were. How simple it would have been if it was like that. But the Lord didn't do that. Amen. Do you know why He uses men, frail men, who have the frailty of their own flesh, who have sin dwelling in their flesh, not in their hearts, you understand, but dwelling in their flesh, that every word that they would say, every thought that they think, every action that they would put forth to you is in some way marred by sin. It's to show the power of God. And it's for you to know that the gospel that is preached, the power that you experience, and the way that it's put forth is not by you. It's of God. Having the gospel being preached by man is the most powerful way that God could ever show His might, His sovereignty, and His might. Because we can't do it. The message that's on my heart today is that of the church. And there's no peace that can come in my mind like having a message um, preached by our dear brother Mark that is much in line with what I have on my heart. And having a prayer prayed by our dear brother Ken that almost gives a snapshot of exactly what I want to say. It's such a blessing that the Lord has given us a kingdom here on earth that we may look into holy things and see all of his wondrous grace. But he's also given us a kingdom in heaven that we will one day dwell in in total perfection, in perfect knowledge and perfect joy and see the Lord as he is. But I'm convinced, brethren, the subject that I have on my mind today, albeit we are in flesh, albeit that we are marred by sin in our bodies, that kingdom that is up there that our loved ones dwell in right now, that experience, the, as it were, the perpetual worship service of the saints. If you want to hear about that, just go to Revelation where it says the four beasts are ever around the Lord saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He is God Almighty. They are worshiping God every second of their existence. And if you go over to Hebrews chapter 12 and you look at the mountain that we've come to, we've come to Mount Zion 
the city of the living God, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to the um, company of angels that are there, the spirits of just men made perfect, that being the saints that have gone before. And it's not that, let me, let me back up a little bit. When the Lord sends his kingdom down in this congregation that we are met in, when we experience that kingdom from heaven, that the Lord comes down and, and literally dwells with us, that is a special appearing of the Lord. If you ask yourself, Brother John Mark, why don't I always feel that? Well, there's a lot of reasons that you might not always feel it. The preacher that's up here might not be speaking a message that is truly on his heart from God. It doesn't mean that it's not true. It doesn't mean that it's falsehood. It doesn't mean that it's not from the word of God. But it might not be the message that the Lord had for that man to preach. And it can, as it were, disrupt our minds to where the Lord might not appear in the way that he would have appeared. You, in your minds, could be jostled, as it were, like the grounds in the parable of the sower, where one seed went by the wayside and... Jesus tells us by his own interpretation that that person there didn't have the understanding of that gospel that he needed to have. He didn't have the knowledge to know how to absorb that, much like I am whenever I hear the gospel. And I think that was a, that was a good message. I feel like I got a blessing out of it, but I have no idea what the preacher is talking about. And I don't go home and study those things. I don't go home and apply them to our lives. And that seed is left by the wayside. That seed didn't come in and spring up and yield forth fruit. Our minds can be like that. We can be like the stony ground that goes down. And it takes root, but it's a very shallow root. And Jesus says, by his interpretation, after the cares of life come in, and after much tribulation, by and by, these people are offended. Have you ever had a seed of the gospel? Have you ever had a message from the gospel preacher that came down, took up root, and you saw fruit of it in your lives? But once the tribulation of this life, maybe it was a friend that came up to you and they displayed that your thoughts on the sermon or the way that you were living or the fact that you were living a godly life was not very popular in their mind. By and by, if you give into that, that shows that you are offended and that, sh and that seed will be taken away and it will not yield any fruit. Much the same way, the thorny ground, we can have the deceitfulness of riches come in our lives. We can start to follow the world. We can start to follow money. We can start to follow our own fleshly desires more than we follow Christ. And that will choke the word out as well. But oh, the joy when that seed from the gospel comes down onto the good ground that was before prepared. And we take that and we study it when we go home and we apply that to our lives. We've experienced greater fellowship with the Lord. And that seed by the Lord's own hand, by his own spirit, by his own might, brings forth 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. The Lord is the bearer of that fruit, and it is our responsibility as we come to the house of God to have good ground that that seed from the Lord would fall in and it would yield forth fruit. But what I'm talking about here, in relation to the kingdom, in relation to the church, is that there are times, brethren, and I'm convinced, as we dwell in the church, as much as we do this, as much as we will feel him, as much as he will be here. Jacob said, 
when he went out to the wilderness and used the stone for his pillow, and he experienced a dream. Um, many of you know the story. It's the story of Jacob's ladder. And when he woke up from that dream, he realized that the Lord was there. And he said, the Lord was here, and I knew it not. The Lord can be here in the midst of us as a congregation, and we not know it. But brethren, when we prepare the ground, when we wait for the Lord, when we, in a patient spirit, in a spirit that's of God, we hear the preaching of the gospel, we hear the songs sung around us, when we hear the prayers of the saints, the Lord sometimes comes down in a very, very mighty way. It's so mighty that we experience a little bit of that perpetual worship service that's up in heaven right now. It's not a different worship service, you understand. That's why it's such a um, taking away feeling, if you will, when the Lord comes down in might. And you can't deny that that's him. In much the same way that this is, is how it's presented in front of John in Revelation 21. And I know we haven't even started to read our scripture yet. But there's ground that needs to be laid right here. In Revelation 21 and in verse 2, it reads this. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the holy city in the new Jerusalem here is pictured up as the church. And this is something that comes down. We don't go up to it. We're not in heaven right now, you understand. This is something that the Lord has to deliver down to us. And it's special. It's more than you and I just gathering to ourselves. And, and I love gathering to you. I love talking to you outside of the church. I love talking to you outside of the congregation. But one of these special things about the church, brethren, is when the Lord is here, the, our little parts that we all bring together um, in the congregation the sum is greater than the sum of the parts. It is something special that we experience right here. And John's about to tell you what it is. He experienced the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God. This is a temporary place. It will not be here forever. The church will be here until time is no more. But you understand the reason that this is likened unto a tabernacle is because one day the Lord is going to take the congregation that we have here and he's going to take it up along with the whole family of God. That's why it's a tabernacle. It's a temporary place. And he will dwell with them, they say. And they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and shall be their God. Wonderful things are found after that. But for sake of time, we're going to go back to Isaiah 52. So the congregation of the Lord, Zion, it is a special place when we gather together, but it's even more of a special place. It's even more of, if you will, an experience of liberty when the Lord himself comes down and we experience special worship service with him. The first two verses of Isaiah 52 read this, and this is speaking of the church. Zion is a picture of the church. Jerusalem is a picture of the church. It reads this. Awake, 
Awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and unclean. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down. O Jerusalem, loose thyself from the bands of thy neck. O captive daughter of Zion. The first two words that we find here in this 52nd chapter are the terms awake, awake. Now, when we read this, we need to read it in the sense of the, the prophet here wants us to arise up. The prophet wants us to pay attention right here because there's a reason to pay attention. And in my frail words right here, I almost see this as him saying, I want you to rise up. I don't want you to miss any of this. I want you to pay attention to this because it's too good to miss any part of it. Amen. And our brother went to a place that's the best place that I know that you could go within that book, and it's the Song of Solomon. If you will, turn to me, um, turn with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 3. And we're going to present, um, if the Lord be our helper, in this book, two examples of when we awake seeking after the Lord. The first one is found in Song of Solomon, chapter 3. And we'll start here in verse 1 and read a little bit. By night, on my bed, I sought him. This is the bride that's talking. I sought him whom my soul loveth. And Brother Mark ably told us what it means to love from the soul. It's not something that our flesh conjures up. It's something that's already there. It's love from God himself and that perfect soul and spirit which he has given us in regeneration. I sought him... But I found him not. She's crying forth from her soul. She wants fellowship with her husband. She wants to see um, her, herself as the bride and communing with her husband in this very special way. The church, brethren, seeks the communion of God. It's the only thing that will ever fill your soul. And I'm telling you, brother, one of the special things about Song of Solomon chapter 1, where Brother Mark was just a few minutes ago, it says, tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. The interesting thing about this is when we think of the church, and we think of the congregation meeting, and we think about the holy Jerusalem coming down and us experiencing Mount Zion, all the time when I've ever thought of it, I think about you and I feeding from the words of Jesus Christ. And we do, I promise you we do, that's a huge part of it. But one of the special things about the kingdom of God is that God himself has fellowship with us. He's feeding with us. He's sitting down with us and he's talking with us and he's having sweet fellowship with us. We can find an example of that in John chapter 4, and I believe it's around verse 22 and 23, where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. 
And he says, the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers, he's about to tell us what true worshipers do. And if you want to be a true worshiper, you need to do these exact things, not taking anything away from it, and not adding anything thereto either. The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. Here it is. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. In all of eternity, in all the time after we go home to be with the Lord, we will be having sweet fellowship with Him. We will be experiencing the warmth of our Savior. We will be be experiencing fellowship with our husband that's only sweet fellowship that a husband can have with his wife. But brethren, we need not neglect the fact that the Lord wants fellowship with you right now. There is a special fellowship to be found in the church of Jesus Christ. It's not a fellowship that you can find out in the world. It's not a fellowship that you can find just simply going out and going out into the world and going fishing and thinking about the Lord. Again, one of the points that I'm trying to get home right here is the church, when the Lord is here and heaven comes down our souls to greet and glory crowns the mercy seat, we experience something so much better than just all of us coming together and being together and learning about the Lord. But the Lord comes down and he has sweet fellowship with us in spirit and in truth. He seeks that kind of worship. And this is an example of what the Song of Solomon is talking about right here. And it says of the bride in verse 2, I will rise now and go about the city. She's awakening. Her heart is calling for fellowship with the Lord. Does your heart ever call wanting fellowship with with the Lord. I confess to you, sometimes my flesh is thick, for lack of a better word, and it's hard for those words to affect me in my mind and in my heart sometimes. It's not that there's something wrong with my heart. No, there's just too much sin in the way. My ground's not good. But the Lord comes to us, and He gives us, He has given us a love in our hearts. And one of the special things about love, the way the Lord has given it, is it has no language barrier. You see, an Indian person will receive this type of love the same way that you and I will because it's in their heart. It's not coming there with words. And it springs forth with the words, crying, have a father. Romans 8 and around verse 20 speaks this. For the earnest expectation of the creature. That means the hope of the creature. That means the hope of the new man. The hope of the perfect soul and spirit waited for the manifestation of of the sons of God. Brethren, I tell you, that's waiting for heaven, but that's also waiting for sweet fellowship with the Lord right here. It hopes to see the Lord in any way that it can possibly have, in any way that the Lord will ever reveal himself. And this right here in the church is a special place where the Lord reveals himself to us. And the bride here in Song of Solomon chapter 3 is awaking, and she's going to find her husband. And I'm going to tell you, brethren, whenever you hear the Lord calling awake, you go. 
You go to the house of God. You be exactly like David was when he was sorrowful in his heart in Psalms chapter 42. And he says, as the heart panteth, um, it's too good of a quote not to go get. Psalms chapter 42 and verse 1 says this, As the heart or as the deer panteth after water, water is a necessity. Water is something that if you come by it and you're in the desert, you better gather it up really, really quick because water is scarce in the desert. Out there in the world, brethren, out there where sin is so prevalent, it is like a spiritual desert. When you find water, you take it, you hold it. You put it in the good ground. You keep your ground good because whenever that seed comes, it needs to spring forth and it will be a blessing to you. As the heart panteth after water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. He's thirsty. He wants the spirit of God. He wants the fellowship with God. My soul thirsteth for God. For the living God, he's not dead. He's alive. Sometimes it might feel like God's so far from you, but he's not. Um, Paul, in speaking to Mars Hill, there are all of those unbelieving, um, I can't think of the word right now, all of those people who believe in false gods, all the pagans is what I was thinking of. Around all of the pagans there, in describing God to them, he said, if you may happily feel after him, though he be not far from every one of us. Brethren, the Lord's never far, and he dwells in the midst of his church. That's why we come to church. It's not that you can get this fellowship somewhere else, even though the Lord's never far from us, and he delivers strength as our days and rest when we labor. You can have fellowship with the Lord upon your bed at night. You can have fellowship with the Lord anywhere, but the reason we come here is to, number one, to serve the Lord and praise Him for all of His wonderful works and the grace that He's given us in our life. But it's to see the Lord high and lifted up in a way that we never will be able to see Him anywhere else. And David knows this because in verse 4, it says, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone, here it is, with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. When you're mourning, when you're sad, when you feel like your sins are just crushing you under the weight thereof and you can't bear them, you be like David and you go to the house of God with the voice of joy, with the voice of praise was a multitude that kept the holy day. It is important to keep the holy day. Sometimes we don't understand how low our spiritual gas tank is until we actually come to the house of God and we see the Lord and we are convicted for our sins. We don't realize how far from God that we've gone. The prodigal son was like that. He went out and he wasted his substance on riotous living. He wasted what the Father had given to them. And I'm going to tell you, brethren, I can tell you from personal experience, I have heard a sermon here before. I have heard sermons here before. And for months, even perhaps years of my life, I've gone out and wasted a vast majority of that wonderful living that the Father has given to me that was supposed to be in my heart. And then, well, it is already in my heart, but it's supposed to be in my mind that I was supposed to take advantage of that. But I wasted it. 
in the world, in this life. And you can do the same thing if we're not careful. But it says when he came to himself, there came a moment of time in his life that he didn't necessarily know why it came at that moment of time. But he realized that the servants in his father's house, get this, the servants, the servants had more than he had in the house of God. And he said, I perish for thirst and hunger. You know what he did? He went back to the Father's house. Amen. Brethren, if you ever, sisters, if you ever too, I, whenever I say brethren, I'm referring to everybody. I don't think I've ever made that assumption before, but I am. If you ever find yourself in a place apart from God, and I'm, I'm not going to need to tell you, the Lord is a perfect communicator. Amen. He convicts you. Yes. You know it if you're apart from God. Amen. I felt apart from God before sitting right there on that seat. It doesn't mean doing anything else physically. It might mean that you've forsaken him in your mind. Amen. Whenever that happens, you go back to the house of God. You can't find yourself too far away from God to where you can't go back. Sometimes it's a sorrowful time on the way back because you have to face yourself and you have to face your sins. But I'm going to tell you, the same one who bore your burdens on the cross of Calvary and consumed and destroyed your sins in all of eternity, and you stand clear in the courtroom of God Almighty, right there, Jesus being your intercessor, is the same one who intercedes for you now. And your sins are supposed to be put on the same place that they were consumed on. All ye that labor and are heavy, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find stress, no, rest for your souls. Amen. There is a burden to bear in the house of God. There is a burden to bear when you hear that call, awake. Awake. And this is not the regeneration call, you understand. We don't have to do anything for that. Amen. The Lord has told us in John 6, um, I, can't, I can't remember the quote. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If you have been given to the Father, if you have felt the Holy Spirit ever, if you have ever been convicted for your sins, if you had ever felt love for the brethren around you right now, that is a pure love, and that is evidence that you are a child of God. That is evidence that the Lord has drawn you by His grace, not by your actions, but by His grace, and you have come to the Father by His action, not by your own action. But that call, awake, Awake. It is a solemn call to attend in the service of God. And for sake of time, we won't go over the other example in Song of Solomon, um, but I'll give you an abbreviated version, as it were. In Song of Solomon, chapter 5, that you find in verses 1 through about 7, um, is an example of the bride when the husband called for her. 
it wasn't that she was convicted in her heart to go to the house of God and to awake and have fellowship with her husband. It was that her husband came to have fellowship with her. Has the Lord ever found you in a place where you were not seeking him, but he was seeking you? And you felt his spirit come in unto you, and he said, come away, have sweet fellowship with me. Arise, my love, my dove, my undefiled, and come away. I'm going to tell you, brethren, whether you want to come to the house of God or not on Sunday morning, whether you want to come to the house of God at a special meeting that's going on, that call is there. He is saying, awake, awake. The question is, are we going to listen to that call? Are we going to come to the house of God? Are we going to come and experience the blessings of God and Lord willing, experience the spirits of just men made perfect with our Savior? She didn't go. And excuse me for using this language, but I'm amazed by the lame excuse that she gives for not going. And this is the only verse that I'll read. But it says in verse 3 in chapter 5, I have put off my coat. She's taking her jacket off. How shall I put it back on? It's right over there on the coat rack. It's, it's not too difficult. I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? Brethren, I, I understand, by the way, that there are some obligations that we have in the world, and they are good, pure obligations that sometimes we have to miss the service of God. Providing for a family is a needful thing to do to make money, to make funds, to make money so we can support our family. That is needful, that is responsible, that is godly, and you need to do that. But when we look at the house of God, when we look at what he has done for us, when we look at the assembly that's around us, and when we look inside of ourselves and we look at our flesh and we look at the reasons why we don't want to go to the house of God, it's not a good enough excuse. Amen. He demands our praise. He demands our love to go to him. And not only that, when we look around and we see all the goodness that he has done for us, when we see all the blessings that he has provided us with just in a physical way, just having food on the table, just having clothes on our backs, just having a roof over our heads, why would we not want to go thank him? Why would we not want to go with the multitude that kept the holy day and go down on bended knee and say, thank you, God, for all that you've done for me. Just the things I can see through my natural eyes. But the rest of the spirit that thou hast given me. There is reason to praise God, friends. There is reason to go with the multitude that kept the holy day. There is reason to come and sing and say, thank you, Lord. Unto you which believe, he is precious. Time has gone away, very much so. The second phrase that we would look at in Isaiah chapter 52 says this, Put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments. In Romans chapter 5 and in verse 6, 
we find a verse that says, For when ye were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Brethren, if you in the church of Jesus Christ, if you as a child of God, as a privilege afforded to you, if you have strength, it is because that strength was given to you. It was not a strength that you welled up inside yourself. It was not a strength that you got through lifting weights or going to college in, in a mental capacity. It was a strength that was given to you by God. And what is that strength? How do we obtain that strength? What, how do we put that strength on? Philippians 4.13 tells us that I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. And that does not have reference to shooting hoops on the basketball court. That doesn't have reference to us just excelling in whatever career that we have. But what it does tell you is that you can bear all things through the strength of Christ. It tells you that no matter what unfortunate situations happens in your life, no matter what burden is on you to maybe even serve the Lord's people, no matter what burden that you have on you to provide for your family, no matter what burden that you have on you that gets in the way of loving the brethren, of loving your family, of loving God himself, the Lord provides strength for that. And it's through Jesus Christ that strengtheneth you. And if you wonder... Another place what that means, and you give a literal example of this, turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we see the Apostle Paul himself. And in verse 7, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Scripture doesn't tell us what this thorn in the flesh was. Scripture does not give light to what it was. But we know it was difficult because the Apostle Paul said himself three times, I don't have the strength to bear this, Lord. Have you ever come to something, come to the Lord in your life with a trial, something that was waiting on you, and you told the Lord, I don't have the strength to bear this? Maybe it was multiple times that you came to him. Maybe it was more than three times that you said, Lord, I don't have the strength to bear this. If you give me a, a little bit of liberty right here, I want to give an example of what could have been this thorn in the flesh. You understand this is not scripture. This is my words right here. But I just think of what if it was. The Apostle Paul came out of a very dark circumstance by any one of our suppositions. Before he was Paul, his name, he was Paul, his name was Saul. And his life goal was persecuting the church of God. It literally says in Scripture that he wasted the church of God. His goal was to kill, destroy, and wreak havoc in a place just like we gather right now. God turned his heart around. He didn't have a good side to his heart, by the way. What I mean by that was he changed that heart. He gave him a heart of flesh. He regenerated him on the road to Damascus and put light where there was darkness and took the darkness away. Right. And from that time, 
Paul said, he's living in old. He said, I'm debtor, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, to preach the gospel. The very thing that I sought to destroy, as Paul, is the very thing that I seek to uphold. Not that Paul was the only one upholding the church of Christ. Even if there was no Paul, Jesus would have upheld his church. That scripture right there. Zion shall never be moved. Right. But Paul, much like we do in our lives, we strive to uphold the truth that is in Christ Jesus and form our lives in a place where we can show forth the fellowship of God and have sweet fellowship with Him and um, shine our lights, as it were, that other men may see those good works and glorify Jesus Christ Himself who's given us our life. But I wonder how many times the Apostle, especially in the early days, no church around the Apostle Paul was going to receive him until Barnabas came and put his arm around him and came with him to the churches and said, don't be scared of this man. I wonder how many members of those churches that he looked in their eyes and he thought to himself, I killed your son. I killed your mother. I killed your father. Those were the people that he was preaching to. And he didn't have a friend in the church to start out except for Barnabas, except for Ananias. The Lord had changed this man and given him a desire to where he was not a whip behind the chiefest apostles, he says. I wonder if that thwart in the flesh with him laying on his bed at night and thinking about, I killed Stephen. I killed the relatives of Timothy. I killed the father of Titus. And like I say, we don't know. But I wonder if that's what he thought. And he just said, Lord, take it away. Don't let me dwell with this feeling anymore of the habit that I reaped in my church. That I strive to uphold right now. Can you imagine such a burden? Can you imagine something so heavy to deal with? Jesus' response was, my strength is made perfect in weakness. When you can't walk anymore, when you can't even speak anymore, when you don't know what to do with this burden that you have, the Lord's strength is with you, child of God. You acknowledge that. You internalize that. You understand that you walk on the strength of Him your entire life. And you walk on your strength, His strength, for your days to come. You realize that and you understand that. I have not gotten to a fifth of what I wanted to get to in this scripture. But turn with me, if you will, to Philippians, not Philippians, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4. And we'll try to close. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, how glorious it is to behold and how wonderful the rest we have there is. In Hebrews 4 in chapter chapter 4 and verse 9, he says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from him from his. The last statement that we were going to look at 
in Isaiah chapter 52 was loose the bands from about thy neck. Brethren, if we are going to loose the bands from about our necks, and if we are going to be here, if we are going to worship God, and we are going to see that holy Jerusalem come down, you need to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I need to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And part of doing that is understanding that there is no place for works in the kingdom of God. There is no place for self-righteousness in the kingdom of God. There is place for works in the kingdom of God, but not for salvation. We understand that the Lord has given us liberty through Christ Jesus and that he has taken our sins as far as the east is from the west. He has said it is finished. And brethren, if he said it is finished, the Godhead can't lie. There is no impurity in the Godhead. And Jesus Christ himself was the very representation of God in the flesh. He was the express image of God. If we are going to enjoy sweet fellowship with the Lord, we need to cease from our own works. We need to understand that we can do nothing good without Him. We can't live a godly life without Him. We can't know which way to turn in life. We don't know which job to take in life. We don't know which saint of God to call, as it were. Call all of them. I think that's a good idea, too. But I, I love Brother Ken, and he's faithful to call everybody. Um, and I love that, Brother. Thank you so much for your service. Um, but ceasing from our own works and taking upon ourselves the works that He has done for us and acknowledging those and resting in those, sitting down in those works as the congregation of the 5,000 did when they waited for the blessing of Jesus. Amen. Standing up as Abraham did in Genesis chapter 13 and walking about the land that the Lord has given us and telling the towers thereof, walking about Zion. Brethren and sisters, we ought to do the exact same thing. God bless you.